RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. We are back in the new and improved Lawfather Studios right here in Lawfather Headquarters. Those of you joining us on Instagram Live, welcome. And uh, we have a good show for you today. We haven't done Instagram Live in a while. So those of you who want to see this podcast on video, you have a couple of different options. You can check it out on YouTube and it'll be up sometime this week. Or you can check us out live as we do it Mondays at 3 o'clock. And I'm just bringing that on, Jason that hopefully we can change the show time to 3 o'clock instead of 8 a.m. on Mondays. And he's giving me a thumbs up. So we are going to make that change official, 3 o'clock on Mondays. So anyway, those of you listening, if you want to see it live, see what's going on, uh, you can check us out. Instagram Live, we'll have it up there, uh, 3 o'clock on Mondays or right around then. So lots to talk about. And you know, a few things happened this week, and none of them good. Right. And as I say at times, there's really, you know, when, when the legal system gets involved, lawyers gets involved, it's usually something bad has happened. Okay. And there have been a couple of really, really bad incidents that have happened over the past week or at least uh, since the last show here. So the past seven days. And, uh, you know, too much to talk about in one show. And so we have the Astro World incident and. You know, that's something that just happened. It's really fresh, and I want to save that one. We'll look to talk about that one next week. I want to get a little bit more of the information on it, let a little bit more come out about that one and uh, go from there. So, But what there has been a lot of information on and what I can talk to you all a lot about is Henry Ruggs and that incident. And, I mean, that one is as bad, uh, I guess, prior to Astroworld, um, because I think Astroworld may may even be worse uh, based on the, the size of the issue, right? But as far as an individual person, this is about as bad as you can imagine for a scenario, okay? Those of you who are not familiar with Henry Ruggs and what I'm talking about right now, all right, those of you who follow sports, I would imagine that there is no sports channel, sports news media in any way, shape, or form that has not covered this in, on some level, okay? But Henry Henry Ruggs played uh, for, uh, was a wide receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, he, rookie this year, or uh, he was drafted last year, so second year in the league out of the University of Alabama, okay? And he is driving in Las Vegas, I believe it was... Last Monday night into Tuesday morning, okay, so about seven days ago, uh, six or seven days ago, depending on exactly the time that it happened, and he's driving his new Corvette, he's got his girlfriend in the car, and he's doing about 156 miles an hour, and he rear-ends somebody, okay? Uh, those are the basics of it. Those are kind of the undisputed facts, if you will, and, and when we talk about things from a legal side, right? We have our undisputed facts and we have our legal, or excuse me, our, our legal facts. <laughs> They're all legal facts. Um, we have our undisputed facts, which is what I just described to you. And we have our disputed facts. And the disputed fact in this one is, and it's a huge one, okay, was Henry Ruggs intoxicated or impaired at the time of the crash, okay? That, that's the big question here. Uh, the, the driver of the other car and that driver's dog, uh, both died as a result of the crash. 
Okay. Uh, really, really bad story here. And, you know, we look at kind of the human cost in it. There was a witness that was there. And from, from the accounts that I've read, I tried to rush over and help pull the woman out of the car uh, before it became completely engulfed in flames and uh, unfortunately was not able to. And so that is really what I call the, the human cost in it because that person has to live with that aspect the rest of their lives, right? So that's the basics of the case. So let's look at it a little bit deeper, right? Because on those facts, you go, oh, He's guilty, right? Gotta be, gotta be guilty. Well, you know, the the legal world isn't quite that simple. And before we get into the facts, I want you to consider this, okay? It doesn't matter how egregious the crime, how much evidence is there, evidence there is against you, okay? Everybody in the United States is innocent until proven guilty, okay? It is one of the major, major components of our Constitution. So, according to the Court of Public Opinion, Henry Ruggs is guilty. Well, not so fast, right? He is innocent until proven guilty. Now, does he have a case? Does he have a way to beat this? I would say yes. I, I would say he does. Um not necessarily the strongest of cases, but there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. So let's dive into the charges, what he's looking at, what we know, and how would you approach that, right? How would you approach that from a defense standpoint? So here's what we have. He had a 0.161 blood alcohol content, all right? That is more than twice the legal limit, which is 0.08. Florida is the same actually as Nevada for that. So Nevada's Blood alcohol content that is uh, legal is up to a 0.08. 0.08 and above is considered illegal. Interesting piece on that, though, right? Especially here in Florida. Just because you have a blood alcohol or a breath alcohol content, depending on how it is measured, of 0.08 or above, it does not automatically make you guilty of DUI. All right, so cons- keep that in mind. What it creates is what's called a rebuttable presumption, okay? It is a rebuttable presumption that you were impaired at the time of the crash or the time that that you were stopped if your blood or breath alcohol content is 0.08 or above, right? So it is not an automatic. It is not an automatic. It is just what's called a rebuttable presumption, which means that it is presumed that you are at fault, that, that you are impaired if your blood, blood or breath alcohol content is 0.08 or above. But the rebuttable part is, is you as a defendant, most likely your attorney, can argue that you were not impaired, okay? And if you're not impaired, you didn't break the law, okay? Maybe you're just a bad driver. So, I don't know, maybe the... Maybe your foot fell asleep on that Corvette doing 156 in Las Vegas, okay? Um, Those of you who have, uh, there's a a surveillance video circulating around out there. Try to take a look at that. There's nothing graphic in there. And look, I'll tell you, I'm the first to avoid any type of graphic video, okay? By all means, uh, I spent six years as a deputy. I, I tried my hardest to avoid 
any kind of graphic scene, right? I, uh, I actually was pretty successful at that and not because I was ducking things. I just happened to get lucky in, in a lot of things and had some people who knew that I couldn't handle it and, and protected me in those uh, instances, okay? So I would never tell you to go watch a graphic video, but go check out this surveillance video. And, and I don't know if this surveillance video in this particular case is... 100% legitimate, but I can tell you it shows you something that I've talked about before where, and it's something that I describe, is you have a car doing 156 miles an hour, but you see another car that presumably is going the speed limit for that road, right? And so if, if you're another driver and you see these two cars, it's really hard to estimate the speed of that car moving 156 miles an hour because it's just so much faster. That other car that most likely is doing the speed limit because there is no other reason, there's no other cars around to indicate that this other guy wasn't doing the speed limit, just minding his own business driving down the road, here, him or her driving down the road, right? And then the car just zooms, whoop, you know, snap your fingers, it's gone, right? Right past you. And uh, so really interesting, and it's something you can think about and consider when you're making a left turn. Uh, we get that all the time. People are making a left turn and they go, oh, I never saw the guy coming right? And you start to piece, put the pieces together and you can start realizing, okay, well, that person was speeding at the time, right? And that's why it looked like there was plenty of time. So that video is actually a, a good a, a good way to look at what that really is. There's no good in this, right? So uh, let me clarify that. There's, there's literally no good in any of this, but from a legal standpoint and from an explanatory standpoint, it's good from that perspective, okay? So What's he looking at? He's looking at several years in prison, a couple decades, okay? And some of it depends on will they run it what's called consecutively, meaning that because there's multiple charges, okay, if he were to go to trial and lose and a jury convicts him, a judge could go, all right, you were convicted of two counts of uh, DUI with death and uh, serious uh, substantial bodily harm. We call it serious bodily harm in Florida. Uh, in Nevada, they call it substantial bodily harm, okay? And, and the judge could do what's called consecutive, meaning that you have two sentences that run back to back. So say the judge gave you 20 years on the first one, 20 years on the second one, you would do a total of 40 years, okay? The other way they can do it is it can be done concurrently, meaning they run them at the same time, okay? So if you got 20 years on one, 20 years on the other, you're only doing 20 years, okay? Because they're running concurrent. So as of right now, he's been charged with the DUI, the, the fatality side of the DUI, and for reckless driving, okay? He has not been charged with the DUI with substantial bodily harm yet, and he has not been charged with the gun that was in the car yet, and he has not been charged yet with reckless driving with substantial bodily harm, those charges are expected to come out on Wednesday. There's a status hearing for the case on Wednesday. Pretty common. It's not just because it's Henry Riggs. It's not because it's high profile. That's really very common that there's these status check hearings that, that go on uh, during these things. So that's what we expect to see on Wednesday. The firearm charge is possession of firearm while under the influence. All right, let's start with the easiest charge to beat first and possession of firearm while under the influence. Based on what I know, and look, I don't have all the facts, right? I don't have the police reports, don't have all the evidence, don't have any of the statements, nothing else. But the possession of firearm while under the influence, most likely the easiest to beat because where was it? How are you going to prove that possession? There was somebody else in the car with him, all right? So we take that one, let's put that one to the side. And uh, let's look at 
what reckless driving, I, I think everybody has a pretty good understanding of what DUI is, right? Pretty straightforward driving under the influence, right? Some states it's DWI, driving while impaired, all essentially means the same things. There's little nuances in the differences, okay? Um, but in Florida, we have driving under the influence, which means you can actually have the same charge, whether it is alcohol, a prescription drug, or anything else that causes you uh, to not be able to operate a vehicle safely. Reckless driving, on the other hand, a little bit different, okay? And it's a lot of bit different because it doesn't have to involve alcohol, and it doesn't involve alcohol, right? And from a common sense standpoint, you look at it and go, yeah, somebody doing 156 miles an hour down the street is probably reckless. Yeah, so you're right, okay? The ultra-simple definition is any person who drives any vehicle in willful or wanton disregard for the safety of persons or property is guilty of reckless driving. That's in Florida, okay? Uh, I'm not going to try to break down any other state when we talk about laws other than Florida, but my assumption would be is that the Nevada laws are very similar, okay, when we're talking about what reckless driving is. And wanton, that's one of those real legal words, okay? Willful willful or wanton disregard. I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you, I have no idea what the word wanton means. I can point to it and I can show you it when I see it, okay? Um, driving 156 miles an hour on a street, that's willful and wanton disregard, okay? Basically, it's saying that you don't really care about anybody else around you. You're going to do your own thing, irregardless of what what could happen and what the outcome is for anybody else. All right. Um, now there's different versions of it. You could have reckless driving where you're just driving recklessly. Those of you in the Tampa Bay area, uh, Gandy bridge, Friday, Saturday nights, people drag racing. All right. Maybe they don't hit anybody and they got, let's say they got stopped. They could be charged with reckless driving. Although Florida does have a racing statute as well, but for simplification purposes, one man drag race on the causeway, reckless driving. How about that? All right. That's the easiest way to look at it. The charges go up, right? They, they, uh, you can actually get hit with a felony charge on it, depending on how severe the injuries are. If it results in a crash with injuries. All right. And that's where we'd be looking at in Florida, serious bodily injury. Now, how do you defend this case? Right. And I I think that's the biggest thing. And I want to look at one thing first, right? And it's something I've mentioned before is I spent a lot of time as an NFL agent. Okay. What does that mean? And how does that apply to this? I know the, the services that are available to these players, every single player in the national football league is a member of the union, right? That NFL PA that you hear. Yeah, that's a union and they have a lot of resources, right? Tons of resources, tons of education, The worst part about this entire incident is it never had to happen, okay? All he had to do was pick up the phone and call somebody. And I believe they actually have the ability to do it through text. And I believe it's been, been, uh, you know, about a year or so now since I've been really ingrained with the NFLPA. But I believe they even have a card they can stick in their wallet just in case they forget that those services exist, Okay. So keep that in mind. And this, this goes for anybody out there. Look, the reality is the 20 bucks you're going to spend on an Uber or a Lyft, go do it. It's not that big a deal. If you have the money to go out and party and drink and do whatever, okay, you can spend the $20 to get a Lyft. Maybe you don't get all the way back to your house with the $20, 
walk walk the rest of the way home. Okay. Leave your car there. They can't tow your car out of the parking lot. Okay. For bars and, and clubs because they don't want people feeling like I can't drive because, or I, that I need to drive because my car is going to get towed. Okay. So that's my PSA on this. It shouldn't have happened for rugs. Resources were available to him. All right. Oh, that he had the means. All right. He was a first round draft pick a year ago. He probably still has some of that signing bonus left, I guess. Okay. Um, but anyway, he had a, a new Corvette. And uh, those of you who have uh, tried to get new cars lately know that uh, new cars are not that easy to come by and you pay a premium. Right. So I'm going to guess, and I'm going to guess it wasn't a base model Corvette. So um, probably a pretty substantial sticker on that. So he had the means. Now, Let's look at this from a legal defense side, right? Because the court of public opinion says he's guilty. But I'm going to tell you, he might not be. There's a lot that can go into this, right? Maybe he's only guilty of reckless driving, all right? And I would say this, right? Based on the video that's out there, right? I don't know how you get out of reckless driving. I just don't, right? You don't even need the video to get past the reckless driving, the amount of damage to the cars, the car caught on fire, the from point of impact, the final rest of the cars was about 500 feet, okay? All of that is very substantial. All of that has all the indicators of an extremely substantial impact, okay? The amazing thing in this, and, and, and this is going to sound tone deaf, and I apologize, it's going to sound tone deaf, but maybe it goes to the quality of the car that GM has, has built with this Corvette. But what is amazing is that Ruggs and his girlfriend are relatively okay from this crash. They didn't really sustain any catastrophic injuries, right? And I know it's that, that kind of age-old adage of it's always the drunk one who walks away fine. Maybe, okay? But not at 156 miles an hour with the impact from what I've read about in 130 or so, okay? Airbags deployed at 127 or so, right? That, that is amazing to me because cars just disintegrate over 100 miles an hour. I couldn't even tell you. I, I saw the pictures, and I, and, I, and I would consider myself a car guy, okay? Um, you know, I, I, I like cars. I, I like looking at cars, researching cars, uh, you name it, I, I enjoy it, okay? So I like seeing the different models and everything else. And I looked at the pictures from that crash. I said, what was he driving? I had no idea. I could not have told you what he was driving, okay? So we know that reckless driving has to be on the table, right? And is he, is he innocent until proven guilty? Yes, okay? It's going to be pretty hard to beat a reckless driving charge on one like this because I don't know how, in what way, shape, or form, you're going to say either A, he wasn't driving, okay, or B, that um, that he wasn't driving extremely fast, right? Maybe he wasn't doing 150. Maybe he was doing 100. I don't know of any place in the entire United States that you can drive 100 miles an hour legally. I believe Texas has the highest at 75. It may even be 80. But even still, right, you still have a big gap between even if it's 80, 
which I, like I said, I believe it's Texas, right? And a hundred miles an hour, you have a big gap there. Okay. And I would argue that you could, you could prove a reckless driving case just on that 20 mile per hour gap. And my guess is this was not an 80 mile an hour road. Okay. My guess is from looking at the road, probably 45 to 55 miles an hour. It looked like it was a couple of lanes, a uh, small median in the middle, and then another couple of lanes for cars going the other direction. Okay. So reckless driving, I, I think that's a foregone conclusion. The DUI on the other hand, right? And the DUI charge is what carries the most weight, what carries the, the biggest opportunity for rugs to do decades in prison. All right. Can you get around that? Is that a foregone conclusion that he was impaired at the time of the crash? I would say no. I, I would say that you could potentially. Now, look, it's all in what the evidence can show. And I don't know what the evidence is going to show, right? I'm not there. I'm not the one hiring the expert witnesses, right? But here's what the state has to prove. First off, the state has to prove that that he was impaired at the time of the crash, okay? Not when they drew his blood at the time of the crash, all right? So let me play out a scenario for you. And it's going to sound ridiculous, and it's meant to sound ridiculous, okay? But let's say this. Let's say you're in the parking lot. I believe it was at Topgolf, all right? And uh, nothing to, no no negative here to Topgolf, okay? But because that's where it started, we're going to use that parking lot as the example, and uh, you go to the trunk of your car, your Corvette, let's say, and you have a bottle of tequila sitting in the trunk of that Corvette. Brand new bottle, right? You get it, you grab that bottle, you're sitting in the parking lot, you down that bottle of tequila, okay? What's your blood alcohol content right at that moment in time? And assuming you haven't had any other drinks, right? That's the only drink you've had all day. All day, all night, you go out, grab that bottle of tequila, down it. Your blood alcohol content is still zero, right? Because you just had it. Now, what's going to happen is over time, it's going to climb and go higher and higher and higher and higher, right? But you're not there yet. You're not impaired yet, right? So think about it like that for a second and, and, and consider this. Each drink metabolizes in about an hour's time frame. okay? Are there many variables to that? Yes, there are. We're not going to get into them, but you know, I don't want to. I don't have anybody go. Well, but it depends on how big you are and how tall and how much you weigh and how strong the drink was. Yes, it does. Okay, but by and large, on average, about a drink per hour, right? So you have this scenario where, and I don't believe the crash happened too far. I believe this was all pretty closely contained, right? Uh, I believe Top Golf is in Vegas. It's it's pretty close. I don't think it's right on the strip, but it's basically between the airport and the strip, which I think the airport's about two, two to three blocks uh, behind the strip. It's all really close together there. So you're all right there. And I believe Ruggs lived close to that general area and, and the victim in the crash also lived uh, real close to that area. So you get in, down that bottle of tequila, your blood alcohol content zero, jump in your Corvette, you do 150 miles an hour. Okay. You're moving, right? Blood alcohol content starting to creep up, creep up, creep up. Crash happens. But are you actually at a 0.08? Are you actually impaired at the time? Right? Let's say it was five minutes later. Probably not. Right? But 
Now the aftermath aftermath of the crash happens. The police come, ambulance comes, boom, boom, everything else. You go to the hospital. They police go get a warrant, right? Go draw your blood, and then draw your blood, and now you're at point one six one, right? Well, what were you at the time of the crash? Were you impaired? Nope. Right? Were you not making good decisions by driving at 156 miles an hour? Yes. Okay. But does that make you a DUI driver? Under the eyes of the law, no. Okay. And I'm not saying that's what the facts of this case say, but that's what I want you to consider is that, and I use that example because it, it, it really highlights that that blood alcohol content can be going up and up and up and up. And what we're actually concerned with is what it was at the time of the crash. And there's experts out there who can take and go, okay, the blood alcohol content was 0.161. And whatever test that they do, they can look at it and go, all right, this is what it was at the time of the crash, right? Could be going up or it could be coming down at the time of the blood draw. We just don't know, right? But there are experts who do that. So that would be a really important thing to look at if you were defending this case. I alluded to one of the other pieces just a second ago, a warrant, right? So those of you who know anything about DUI, maybe you've had a DUI and you've had the unfortunate uh, timing to have been involved with having to do a breathalyzer. There's no warrant needed to do a breathalyzer. Now you can refuse the breathalyzer, but it is a condition of you having a license. It is an administrative piece of you having a driver's license, at least in the state of Florida. That you agree that you will take a breath test, okay? They don't need a warrant for a breath test. But blood, blood is a search. Blood requires a warrant, right? So if they did not get a warrant, that blood draw could be thrown out and therefore making the DUI extremely hard to prove, right? Now, one of the other things is they have to show that there was at least reasonable suspicion, if not probable cause, probable cause because they need a warrant. In order for you to have to do field sobriety exercises, you need reasonable suspicion to show that somebody was under the influence, okay, and was impaired. And they say, yeah, he had, he had indicators, right? He had indicators of being impaired, right? But if I'm looking at it from a defense standpoint, I'm not scared of that reckless driving charge. I'm scared of that DUI charge, right? Because that one's huge. So I'll jump up and down and say, he was in a crash and he was doing 150 miles an hour. Of course he wasn't acting right. But you're going to tell me you, your officer, your trooper, your deputy could tell the difference between the trauma of being involved in such a serious crash and alcohol? I'm going to go with no, right? I'm going to go with that's going to be a very hard bar to get over to show that based on his actions at the scene, right, that they could actually legitimately show that he was impaired. Now, look, I haven't seen the video, but I'm just saying a crash that significant, right? Think about it. A crash that significant. Those of you who have been in, in fender benders, right, and even maybe crashes more than a fender bender that are substantial, right? You just don't feel right. I've been in a couple car crashes, right? And, and your head's all jumbled. You just don't feel right. Things don't make a whole lot of sense. Doesn't mean you're impaired necessarily, right? I mean, I, I got into one when I was working as a deputy. Clearly, I was not drinking on duty, and I, I, got, um, I couldn't figure out which end was up, right? 
So it's going to be a difficult thing to prove. So keep that in mind. All right. Keep all of that in mind. Because in the court of public opinion, Henry Ruggs is guilty. According to the Constitution of the United States, which is what us lawyers are here for, right? That's what defense lawyers are here to defend. And, and you know, some of them beat that drum because it helps them sleep at night defending really bad people. And that's fine, right? And it's needed. It's, it's entirely necessary, okay? But the Constitution says you are innocent until proven guilty. And Henry Ruggs should be, at minimum, afforded that same opportunity to be innocent until proven guilty, okay? So that is the Henry Ruggs case and how that all works and why we might not ever see him be found guilty of DUI, right? Or maybe he takes a plea deal and it ends up being something substantially lesser, right? Because there are all those different factors. There are all those different pieces to the puzzle that are needed to be put together. All right. So let's switch gears here. We have a listener question here for you today. Uh, there's a, a heavy topic there today, so um, it just uh, take a second and uh, recharge before the listener question. All right, here we go. Can I sue somebody for a slip and fall accident? The simple answer is yes, okay? Now, the more complicated answer is what do you have to be able to prove, right? Because just because you fall somewhere, doesn't mean it's somebody else's fault, right? So let's let's keep that in mind. And not everything results in that it is somebody else's fault, whether it's a, well, I guess a car crash, it always is somebody's fault. But on a slip and fall, it's not always the owner's fault, right? Maybe you just weren't paying attention to where you were going. Maybe you're clumsy, right? Maybe, hey, Jason decides he's going to walk from the wall that he's up against right now over to the other wall. And we have all this equipment here that, well, he's set up, so he should know it's there. Can he sue me? Yeah, probably not because he knows it's there. He put it there, right? So there's all these different pieces. So let's let's try to break this down in a very succinct way. The owner of a property, right, or the operator of a business, they have to know, it's this, they, they either knew or should have known that a dangerous condition existed at the time, Okay. By no, I mean exactly that. Like they actually had physical knowledge. They knew that this existed. They knew the hole in the ground at a grocery store. They knew the water on the floor was there and they ignored it. Okay. Or they should have known that water that's been on the floor at the grocery store has been there for two hours and they didn't do anything about it. And they say, well, we didn't know. Well, it's been there for two hours. You should have known. You should have employees walking through the store to ensure that the store is safe. Okay? That's your know or should have known. Now, once they know or should have known, right, they need to give notice. So, think about the time you go in a store, you see those little triangle signs that say wet floor. Okay? They know a condition exists and they give you notice. There it is. Wet floor. You should avoid this. Right? takes away the liability on them. All right. Now that's that part of it. You have as the individual, you have a duty to avoid the dangerous condition. Okay. So let's say this, say you go to the grocery store, we'll pick on the grocery stores here for the moment because the, uh, it, it just, it works out really good as an example. Those of you who shop here in Florida, 
most of the grocery stores have these nice, pristine white floors. They're nice and glossy and shiny, right? They look great, right? Nice, clean, fresh. Well, water doesn't show up on it very well. But let's just say, for example, somebody spilled motor oil on the floor, okay? And it's just sitting there, right? Maybe it's been there for an hour. Maybe it's been there for two hours, and the store probably should have known that it was there, okay? Well, you still, as the person walking, you have an obligation to avoid the dangerous condition, okay? You have an obligation. Look, you saw it. it it's what's called open and obvious, right? And I use the oil on the grocery store. The, I use the motor oil, the car oil, because it's black, right? Black, dark, dark oil on a gloss white floor, right? Yeah, you should avoid that, okay? I'm just going to go out there and say, you just you should walk around it because you're not going to have a case. And if you do have a case, it's going to be very minimal, right? So that's kind of the pieces to the puzzle. So they either knew or should have known, and the, and the store didn't do anything. They, they, the business owner didn't do anything, okay? There was no notice, and it wasn't open and obvious, and then you slip, and you fall, and you're hurt. So can you sue for that? Yes, you absolutely can. Those are the general pieces to the puzzle on it. If you want any more information, you're always always free to reach out to me. You can reach me on all the different social medias. Just check out The Law Father. You can always reach us at 855-LAW-FATHER. Call or text. I'm always here for you. Anyway, that is the listener question of the day. Can I sue for a slip and fall accident? We covered a lot on Henry Ruggs and the whole legal analysis on that case. And uh, probably going to talk about Astroworld next week. Um, like I said, there was a lot going on between these seven days and uh, both of those stories equally of importance from the legal perspective, but we will get into that one. Check out the social media. May try to do a little something on Astral World. Little, little uh, short blop, blip, 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 little short. I don't know what, I don't know what that was, but a little short something. And I think that means it's time for me to end the show for today. So it's the Law Father here right from our new Law Father Studios. Law Father out.